Mm-hmm. Quaid is now alone to ascend into the claw mark giant button activation room. <laughs> I also love how he leaves Melina down there. Like, yeah, <laughs> I guess he couldn't like stop the lift on its way. Right, up. he couldn't hold the elevator for her. But <laughs> I wanted her yeah. to come running up the steps, just like out of breath. When... <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't have sent the elevator back down. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Richardi, and I am joined today by fellow podcaster Owen. Owen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you on. And, you know, every every episode on the show, I bring on a different guest and ask them the same question every single time. Uh, and that's why I only have, of course, one question for you, Owen, and that is, why did we watch Total Recall? That's a great question. Um, so I had a whole list of movies that I wanted to watch for the show. And then I went on and started listening to some of your episodes and that knocked out like half of my list. <laughs> so it was down to just a few and Total Recall. I uh, recently watched this movie for the first time a couple of months ago and um, had always heard of it and just kind of expected it to be like mm-hmm. a typical kind of like paint by numbers 90s action movie. Mm-hmm. And it, like, kind of really surprised me. It, like, is, but it also isn't. And I absolutely loved it the first time I saw it and had so many comments and wanted to talk about it. And nobody else that I tried to talk to about it had ever seen it. So (laughs) this is my excuse to talk about it as much as I can. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we can provide you this forum here uh, on a podcast, which by design, I have absolutely no control over what movies you watch for. So I'm always excited when someone picks one that I also uh, enjoy. And we've been on a little bit of a a 90s action kick in the last couple episodes or so between uh, Blade Runner 2049. And I guess I wouldn't say New Moon is a 90s action movie, but, you know, we we take the L's with the wins. (laughs) Uh, It is. Yeah, Yeah, it's... mm, Mm, that's that's a debate for another episode (laughs) Uh, but let's jump into another one of of those classic Schwarzenegger action flicks you know we open on as 90s action movies are wont to do like five minutes of logos all of them lengthy in their own right uh (laughs) and I love the opening credit sequence yes it just like looks like it's like made for VHS and it <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> There's a certain look to like, uh, and it's it's part of it is the difference in like the quality of cameras that we're shooting with now versus even back in the '90s. But there's a certain graininess to some of these classic action flicks that you just can't recreate, no matter how hard you try. And the credit sequence here has that look to it. The whole movie does, but you really see it in the credits when the the red descending bars are revealing names, and you you get this very like slick. Uh, slick quote-unquote <laughs> uh, graphic <laughs> title happening it's ah, something about it that just hits so good so even though there's like a four exactly. minute credit sequence you're you're in you know? i enjoyed every minute of it <laughs> <laughs> exactly i was like oh i need to know who this production designer is get to that reveal <laughs> the the score picks up we get some more of those great metal sounding hits and uh, we get another, I kind of, for, I always forget that this movie is inspired by a Philip K. Dick story. We did, of course, mm-hmm. Blade Runner 2049 earlier on the podcast, that another, which 2049 is not necessarily inspired by, uh, due to Android's dream of electric <laughs> sheep, but Blade Runner, of course, is. 
So I'm like, oh, wow, we get a movie struck alum coming back already. <laughs> yeah, friend, friend of the show. Philip yeah, friend Dick. of the pod. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a dream. And after, you know, a couple minutes of credits, we pan up over a, a red washed landscape as two people walk along these dramatic cliffs in their spacesuits labeled 08 and 02. Holding hands, they, they take a moment to stare fondly at each other before they continue on, only for uh, the man, who is, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, as of yet unnamed, <laughs> falls over the edge of the cliff and breaks his helmet open and proceeds to uh, start mutating. This is going to be sort of like a reoccurring challenge for <laughs> threat, I guess is a better word than challenge to the characters in the movie. Um, the atmosphere causes them to sort of their eyes to bug out and go crazy and start gasping for air because of course as we uh, all are familiar with you can't breathe the air on mars it's not there <laughs> no <luck>. not yet <laughs> nope. uh, and as he's bugging out uh he he wakes up it was all a dream remember those dreams people because they're gonna be coming back around something of a theme in this movie <laughs> or was it i don't know we'll get to ooh, that <laughs> ooh, scandal we're, we're like five minutes in we <laughs> so much to unpack we learn that his name is Doug, as his girlfriend Lori helpfully uh, tells us, as she she rouses him from his waking nightmare to comfort him. Uh, apparently, this is not the first Mars-related nightmare that Doug has had. Doug Quaid, which I feel like immediately the first time I saw this movie, I knew that something was up because oh, there's yeah. no way that that this guy's name is Doug, like this big meaty man. Doug just does not fit him. It just seems like a made-up name, and not uh, even a little bit. And we'll I, I think that. that's probably why they call him Quaid the whole movie. And well, there's a few reasons they might call him Quaid the whole movie, but that's why I choose to believe that they do because there's no way that I could take any of the heavy action scenes seriously if they were shouting Doug instead of Quaid. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not possible. <laughs> it's also crazy that like he just accepted that as his name and he didn't question like, is yeah. that my name? Like, <laughs> it's like I'm not gonna try and make like a nickname for myself. I'm not gonna try and go by like my middle name or something. <laughs> No. It's like, hi, my name is Doug Quaid. Oh, really, Doug? Yeah, you will, well, Doug Maximus Quaid, and you're not going by Maximus. Just, just lie at that point. Doug sort of brings his, his girlfriend, Lori, or wife, Lori, up to speed about uh, his dream. He mentions that he was with the brunette woman again, which causes her to get jealous of his dream girlfriend. She's pissed. She's like, you're dreaming about a brunette who you don't even know every single night. But they, they kiss and get over it. It's... This is it's the opening sequence, man. We got we got breeze right past whatever that was. <laughs> uh, Doug is sort of making breakfast. He's listening to a report on the news about various terrorist attacks on Mars led by a man named Quato. Uh, and one of the so <laughs> there was a moment I really liked in the news broadcast where they have like footage of the soldiers fighting the you know uh, terrorists, and one of the soldiers is like, "No cameras, no cameras," in a very paparazzi way, <laughs> which is not the intent. But I, I love that you can really see the Hollywood of the whole thing in that moment. Yeah, he's that soldier's been, it's not his first radio. No, <laughs> he's like, no pictures, please. It's like TMZ. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Lori comes in and turns off the news and Doug's like, what if we, and hear me out about this, babe, what if we move to Mars? Which she shuts down immediately. She's like, no, it's ugly, it's dry, it's boring, and they're on the verge of a violent revolution. Like, no, 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 no. And he sort of sighs and forgets about it. Doug then puts on his TV to continue watching uh, Cohagen, a politician, question mark, businessman, ambiguously powerful man on Mars, 
who wants people to continue to go there, uh, either for vacations or to move. Uh, that is the center of his power, if you will. And before he leaves for work, Lori reminds uh, Doug to kind of give their new town, their new life a chance. And he sort of wistfully is like, I was meant for more than this. Doug is a Doug is a dreamer at heart. <laughs> he yearns for more from his life. I'm moving to Mars. He wants to move to Mars. I hear they have a really great school district. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, you know, that's why everyone is so on to Mars now. It's yeah. really, you know, there's some arguments to be made that they're, they're starting to gentrify Mars a little bit. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not really... It's uh, a buyer's market, you know. Yeah, they're, they're forcing, like, everyone who's been living there their whole lives out in exchange for building these, like, really ugly buildings. Although the aesthetic <laughs> of this uh, futuristic society, as we'll learn, is very brutalist, which is not necessarily uh, my favorite architectural style. <laughs> I- might be a bit of a cold take in the architecture community. I'm not sure how, how we're feeling about brutalism these days. <laughs> and we get, to, we get to sort of see that style on display at the subway stop as Doug, Doug enters the metro. He's, he's heading down through security, which is this very cool effect where as he passes through the security booth, they're scanning for unauthorized weapons. You see just like an x-ray of his skeleton as he, as he follows the conveyor belt through. Uh, it's a very neat little effect there. I love this effect. You know that in 1990, that probably blew through like 40% oh, of yeah. the budget. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you you can just like see it working hard behind the scenes. Like there's someone with like uh, the light programming that and you're like, you, you are where the budget went. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all the money went. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think that it was actually a practical effect and they actually, it was a real x-ray. Oh. Just gave everyone on set like radiation poisoning. <laughs> They brought on all the, like, the x-ray techs and they're like, okay, no, this isn't your usual gig, but hear me out. <laughs> yeah, all the grips have to wear that like lead like <laughs> vest that they put on at the dentist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, that was the original like set safety discussion. That's why the IATSE strike is so important today. And that's, that's... why we had to unionize. <laughs> because we wanted to avoid all the lead poisoning. Definitely not related to working normal hours or having like reasonable <laughs> compensation or anything support the IATSE strike and all that jazz but <laughs> right we need to <laughs> too many x-rays on set yeah that was the real issue <laughs> that's the that's a real issue support the mm-hmm. IATSE strike <laughs> <laughs> uh and on as he's riding the subway uh Doug aka Quaid aka Arnold Schwarzenegger uh is watching a advertisement that is for the Recall Incorporated, uh, they are selling memory implants of people's ideal vacations. So you could go to the tropics or, as the Recall ad conveniently points out to this man obsessed with Mars, you could have a memory of your ideal Martian vacation. <laughs> <laughs> These targeted ads are getting a little crazy in, in 2084. Crazy. We know where TikTok got its algorithm from. It's <laughs> whatever the ad <laughs> matrix of Total Recall is about. <laughs> I also love how they have tvs on the subway yeah i think that's just the coolest thing (laughs) and there's really no reason it made me mad that we don't have like tvs on our public transportation it's funny you say that because when i was in um shanghai we did there were there were tvs on a lot of the subway systems so it's just the u.s see that's (laughs) it's what happens when you invest in public transportation yeah you know what infrastructure it's important (laughs) You, too, could get advertisements for Martian vacations streamed directly to your subway ride to work. Uh, speaking of work, Doug is going there. He works as a, a construction worker, so he's jackhammering away at a construction site. What's he jackhammering at? Not important. All that matters is that he chats with his co-worker, Harry. He asks him if he's ever heard of Recall. 
Harry's like, yeah, man, I had a friend who went there and he got to get, he had to get like lobotomized. Like, don't fuck with your brain, pal. It ain't worth it. Very classic bro to bro communication going on. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a water cooler talk at work. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Hey, I'm thinking of getting my memory altered this weekend. Oh, no, man. I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> classic, classic stuff. Uh, but it doesn't stop Doug, who goes to another different brutalist building, this time owned by Recall Incorporated. As he walks in, the receptionist is painting her nails, and she does this in a way that I absolutely love, because she, like, taps each nail with a stick, and it just automatically changes the color. And we see her throughout the scene doing it multiple times to just keep recoloring her nails, and I absolutely love that for her. <laughs> that is an invention that I desperately awesome. need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, she brings Doug in to meet with Bob McLean of Recall Incorporated, who's sort of the salesman slash head of this branch of the company. He talks like a salesman. He walks like a salesman. That's really the only vein we need to know him in. Quaid is like, I'm interested in a memory of Mars. Bob tries to sell him on Saturn. Seems a little stuck on the Mars thing, but Quaid doubles down. <laughs> And Bob kind of gives him the whole spiel about how his brain won't know the difference between implanted memories and real ones. And when you travel with recall, everything is perfect. This sales pitch having worked, Doug agrees to the service and Bob asks him, do you want to do any upgrades? Do you want any, any changes? Um, and Bob's like, you know what? I think I know what you want. What's been the same about every vacation that you've ever taken? Quaid's like, I don't know. What has been the same about every vacation I've ever taken? The answer, <laughs> it's you. And Bob explains the ego trip, an add-on to the vacation, which allows you to travel as something other than yourself, such as the examples they give are, I believe, a playboy, a jock, or, as Doug gets particularly interested in, a secret agent. <laughs> <laughs> I love this scene because you can tell that Doug is, like, so confused. And mm -hmm. a part of it is just, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger being, like... Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, when he asks him the question, what's the same about every vacation you've ever been on and he's he's like totally stuck you can see the gears like turning in his head and he's like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the same. it's like don't don't think too hard there buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can really see like oh this is a guy who definitely has already fallen hook line and sinker for whatever whatever uh he'd be super easy to sell anything to yeah him, like... <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly whatever bob is selling him he's buying uh, he seems really yeah. interested in the like secret agent uh, ego trip in particular, so he signs on for that bonus as well. And so uh, his trip to Mars planned out as his alter ego, Quaid the secret agent. Quaid goes to go under the recall machine. I have to talk about the characters in the scene because we move into like this laboratory setting with this doctor and his assistant who are setting up Quaid for the memory implant thing. These are two of my favorite characters in the entire movie, and they don't really appear again ever, but... <laughs> But we've got our lab tech Ernie and uh, Dr. Lull here who are just going through the most like rote parts of their day. Like they do this day in, day out. They are so chill about this medical procedure where they are altering someone's memory er to the point where Ernie says his first line to Quaid is, don't worry, things rarely fuck up around here. <laughs> <laughs> Setting us up for yeah. so much greatness. <laughs> A little bit of foreshadowing there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Gee, I wonder if things are going to uh, get fucked up. Mm, who knows? Certainly not Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Lull sort of gets the procedure going very matter-of-factly. Uh, and he ha She has Doug design his ideal woman to sort of enhance the vacation experience. Notably not his wife, who was worried Yeah, he doesn't design his wife. <laughs> worried earlier in the scene. 
earlier in the movie that his that Doug was cheating on her in his dreams with the brunette lady. Doug then designs the brunette woman from his dreams in place of his wife. <laughs> he tells her in the first scene, he's like, "Don't worry, you're the only woman I have eyes for. Yeah. Don't even worry about the girl in my dreams." <laughs> he's like, "You're the, you're and then, the like, woman in my dreams, later. baby." And then, nope. Twenty minutes later, that statement is proven incorrect. <laughs> Uh, Doug starts to sort of like fade into sleep as Ernie and Dr. Lull sort of commence the procedure and we sort of fade in and out following Quaid's sleepiness. Uh, Meanwhile, Bob is in his office selling a different woman on a program when his secretary puts him on the phone with the laboratory. The doc is yelling about how there's another schizoid embolism happening. It's our boy. It's Doug. He's sort of awake, sort of not. And as he as he comes to consciousness, freaking out, he's like, convinced that he is in fact a secret agent to the point where they have to sedate him because he starts to attack Bob and the doc as he's sort of coming out of this haze as they as they sedate him um and he, he passes out again Bob is like this is this is bad this is not great Dr. Lull says this man he's actually been to Mars like we haven't we haven't put the memory in him yet him screaming that he's a, a secret agent from Mars like that has to be something he already remembers to which Bob is like well that's no good. <laughs> that is not good at all. He's... <laughs> <laughs> we should um, <laughs> we should get rid of this man. As they sort of f- trying to figure out what what happened with Bob, uh, Ernie says, "You know, if if we haven't implanted the chip yet, and he's already acting out the stuff. That means someone already erased his memory." And Ernie's like, "It must have been the agency," which gets him slapped uh, by by his coworkers for even mentioning their name out loud. The recall gang then deposit. Quote, unquote, <laughs> quote unquote Thomas Quaid which was uh, I couldn't tell if I misheard that or they actually called him Thomas instead of Doug but going back through it I heard Thomas again and now I'm doubting myself really yeah maybe I I might have missed that that's really <laughs> funny <laughs> which was the first clue that perhaps something is amiss they put him in a cab a Johnny cab and erase all of his memories of recall uh, when he wakes up the robotic cab driver sort of talks him through having been put in the cab and they've just been driving around ever since, I guess, for an unend- unidentified amount of time <laughs> with no destination. <laughs> uh, he gets dropped off at the <laughs> at the metro station again, where he runs into his old coworker, Harry. Harry asks him how the trip to Mars was, and Quaid's like, I don't remember. And he's sort of, Harry's sort of like, you know, you went to recall to go on that trip to Mars. And Quaid goes to leave, but some men grab him, and Harry starts yelling at him for blabbing about Mars and whips out a gun. The stakes... They've just been raised. This is the first plot twist. And there's like dozens of plot twists in this movie mm-hmm. that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But this is like the first one. He starts to realize that things are not as they seem. No. Harry from work. He keeps calling him Harry from work. Yes. Just his buddy from work. <laughs> to, to remind us and the Harry audience from work that is that's where he's soon. from. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also, one of my favorite lines is, you blabbed about Mars. <laughs> <laughs> he is like screaming at him. <laughs> exactly. It is so funny. <laughs> I, I, this scene was fascinating to me too because I think a lot of, and we, we'll, I think we should come back to this at the end because at the, I'd love to hear whether or not you think this was all a dream at the end of the movie or not. Uh, once we've gotten through oh, it. Oh, yes. Yeah, we, I mean, we, have to, we can't talk about Total Recall and not discuss that point. But this was the first point for me where I was like, <laughs> I think that this might be a dream because Harry seems to be following story logic, not real world logic here. Because he says, you know, oh, how was the trip to Mars? And when Quaid clearly doesn't remember what was going on, to, to me, that reads as like, okay, the, the, the cover is still good. Quaid still thinks he's just Quaid. 
he had a bit of a weird afternoon, but maybe he just got like, maybe we could convince me to just like party too hard or something. But they jump solidly from, oh, you blabbed about Mars, time to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes from zero to 100 real mm-hmm, quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree. This is the first point where like you start to question what is real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a question that will persist throughout the rest of the movie. And beyond. And beyond. <laughs> well into the discourse <laughs> the 30 odd years later. Uh, Quaid sort of whips out his crazy secret agent moves to kill all of his attackers. Secret agent moves that he did not have before, as far as we're aware, but he takes them down with ease. (laughs) Until he signed up to be a secret agent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Until he became uh, Quaid the secret agent through his recall experience. He returns home to where Laurie is doing some tennis practice with a hologram when... uh, <laughs> when Doug busts up in here and he's like, Some men just tried to kill me. He sort of explains to Lori that he went to recall uh, and, and brings her up to speed on what his day was about. And Lori gets pissed at him immediately. She's like, Those recall people, they always cause delusions. Uh, to which Doug reveals his very bloody hands as proof that he's not just imagining it all. <laughs> uh, I can't believe she didn't notice the hands before then, but to her, in her defense, he turned off all the lights and started. She was in the middle of <laughs> mid tennis. It's a, we've all had a strange roommate before. <laughs> also, that he didn't start with that. Like, yes, didn't walk in. Hands he was saving up. it for the big reveal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't walk in and was like, "Look at my hands." <laughs> That's what I would have done personally mm-hmm. if I were in that situation. The Lady but... Macbeth approach, you know. <laughs> we really, yeah, <laughs> red hands up. I would go. I would try to wash my hands before I like touched anything. Uh huh. Uh, but you know yeah speaking of washing your hands doug goes to wash his uh but when he goes to walk (laughs) back into the dark room someone starts shooting at him he manages to subdue them and turns on the lights to reveal that it was Lori who was shooting at him and she goes all karate kid on his ass they start rumbling Lori explains like i'm not your wife everything before six years ago was a memory implanted by the agency and i was written in as your wife to keep an eye on you sorry quaid your whole life is just a dream just the fourth time someone has referenced his life being a dream in this movie. Yeah, and we're only like a half hour in at this point. Oh, so. yeah. If you were wondering if it was going to be subtle whether or not this was a dream as being the central question, no, absolutely not. The movie wants to be thinking about that not the whole all. time. Um, I also like how um, he's like so slow to understand what she's talking about when she reveals that all of his memories are fake, that they're all implanted. Mm-hmm. He's like, but do you remember our wedding? <laughs> and she like she just explained that that was fake like she's like yeah of course i remember it it's part of the memories that we implanted that's the whole that's the whole point quaid are you not keeping up to speed that's that's what i just said <laughs> like she like literally like she just explained it and <laughs> yeah like, this is why communication yep. breakdown in our marriage is part of the problems we've been having i really think that we should talk this out <laughs> uh, she tries to sort of seduce him by saying she's he's the best assignment she's ever had but he kind of notices that she's distracting him from the the camera they have of the lobby of their building just sort of like in their apartment uh where a bunch of agents are busting in (laughs) he drops the clever girl line before knocking her out and making his escape as the agents bust into the house Lori brings them up to speed one has a scanner that's uh, on the trail of uh quaid got a little blip tracking device going on as he sort of makes for the subway again. One of the agents, as we'll learn, Richter, takes the opportunity to make out with Lori for a little bit before leaving. They are actually married in the quote-unquote real 
non-implanted memory sphere, I suppose. <laughs> Hard to say what is real and what is not, but as far as reality is concerned, they're so married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> Doug uh, kind of goes through subway security again, but this time he has a gun on him, and so security tries to stop him. And it, we get to use that really cool x-ray effect again to see him facing off with some of these security agents before he makes a break for it by literally breaking through the x-ray wall, jumping forward into the screen uh, through his skeleton. (laughs) So cool. Which is so cool. Although I got to say, I was a little disappointed that they, we didn't have like a shootout behind the x-ray machine first Mm -hmm. to like see the people's bones being shot. Yeah. There's like a little bit of a standoff, (laughs) but it's just sort of like posing. They don't really... Yeah, there's no, there's no bullets, no fired, bullets fired, I don't think. No, but yeah. it's, oof, that would have been a very cool effect to do. Um, Maybe it was out of budget or yeah. you know, a little little before its time. <laughs> uh, so after he busts through the x-ray wall, he continues to flee from the agents who just open fire on this escalator as Quaid uses another random passerby as a human shield ripped to uh, <laughs> that guy on the elevator before <laughs> um, shooting open a window on a moving subway car and then jumping into it as the car the subway train travels on forward and he manages to make his escape now once again on the subway an ad for space travel this time a real vacation to mars plays it's the it's a the opposite of the the recall advertisement from 30 minutes earlier again with the targeted the targeted ads targeted ads it's turning the whole thing on its head there's no references to recall anymore on the subway just get actual mars i wonder if we're gonna go there someday (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh richter the agent gets a call from cohagen who you'll remember as the um ominous businessman slash politician slash owner of mars quote unquote uh who says you know i, I don't want quay owner, kill- <laughs> owner of mars and bad guy in big letters um <laughs> <laughs> he's like i don't want quaid killed and richter's like we gotta we gotta take him out because in an hour he could have total recall <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's the name of the movie that's the, we can roll credits we're, we're done here we've we've seen everything that's... we need to see <laughs> richter hangs up on cohagen and goes back to tracking quaid kind of quipping about how they should have killed him on mars indicating that he knows quaid from before quaid in his hotel room at the hotel ritz uh gets a video phone call from an unidentified man who explains that there's a bug in his skull and that if he follows his instructions, he'll help him escape from the agents who are tracking him. Uh, so Quaid puts a towel on his head in order to block the signal from the tracking device, which is um, just excellent. <laughs> it is. He runs around for a while with the, like a towel wrapped around his head like he just got out of the salon. Yep. I've tried to do that sort of like towel hat so many times in my life and failed. He does it perfectly <laughs> on his first try. And he that pulls does, it up. It does not budge uh, once. <laughs> No, it doesn't. <laughs> Even when he's like being shot at, it's it's still firmly in place. <laughs> I also love the logic here that like, it, if it just gets wet or has like a towel around it, mm-hmm. then they can't track him. Like if, if he just takes a shower or he actually goes to the salon and gets his hair did, that for a while they just don't know where he is. Yeah. And he would have no idea. We see him um, pose in a, a different costume later in the movie that sort of indicates that the salon route might have been the way to go to avoid all of the agents but he, he chooses to shoot him up route instead uh quaid's yeah. quaid's new buddy leaves him a suitcase out in front of the hotel 
and tells him to grab the suitcase. It was left with him in or by Quaid in the past on Mars, and he was to get it to him if he ever went into this sort of recall state. <laughs> and when Quaid goes out to grab the suitcase, he has to like fight this middle-aged woman for it. it the suitcase is just standing, <laughs> sitting on the steps, and Quaid's like, no, this is mine, and she just still is trying to take it from him, and she's very angry that he's not <laughs> letting her take it. And I'm like, were you trying to steal it too? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> You don't have room to talk here, woman. Righteous, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> What's her story? I, is she like? Yeah. Is she also uh, being pursued by <laughs> secret agents. Is she also under? She needs to get to Mars. Investigation. Is she also trying to escape from the state of total recall? <laughs> Who can say? Who can say? Uh, as Quaid is making his escape, Richter and Co. find him. He sort of jumps into another one of the Johnny cabs, which he commandeers by ripping the robot driver out of the front and just driving on his own um <laughs> i love that the way that they that you can drive it manually is just it's just one joystick yes. <laughs> there's no like steering wheel there's no there's no other controls it's just a joystick <laughs> exactly i love i love that i love the concept of the robot driver being able to be overridden by just literally taking him out of the front seat uh <laughs> <laughs> everything about the cab is excellent um yes Quaid uses that to make his escape, pulling into an abandoned somewhere. It's all brutalist concrete. Uh, and his Johnny Cab, after he gets out, takes the opportunity to try and run him over and then crashes into a wall and explodes. So so ends the tale of the Johnny Cab. <laughs> Unfortunately. R.I.P. Uh, and then Quaid kind of goes deeper into the building. He finds some rats and takes the opportunity to open up the suitcase after pushing them angrily off of a piece of concrete. <laughs> Inside, instead of any other surface, yeah, he's surrounded <laughs> he just by the concrete cubes, one. and he's like, "All right, gotta sweep some rats off of this before we can figure out more of the plot." Uh, opening up the suitcase, he finds a bunch of money that I assume is supposed to be future money, but it looked a lot like Monopoly money to me. Some fake IDs, a very sort of like strange gun-shaped narrow device, and a little like pocket-shaped scanner-looking device, which when he powers up. Spooks him because he spots a figure in the shadows, but as he moves, he realizes that it's a holographic reflection, and he is in fact seeing himself mirrored. So that's what that device does. Remember that, kids. It's a surprise tool that will help us later. <laughs> the suitcase itself contains a message from uh, Holler, I believe his name was. Hauser. 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 Oh, yes. man. Too many. <laughs> like Doogie Hauser, MG. Yeah. Like that. Yes. Different spelling, I think, but yeah. Yep. Uh, Hauser, a.k.a. Quaid. What? He looks exactly like him. <laughs> As he's sort of unpacking that mystery, Richter and co. are making for the old cement factory where Quaid's Johnny cab blew up. It indicated to them by the explosion that that's where he was. As, of course, they can no longer track him via his chip while he has that handy-dandy towel on his head. Uh, Hauser... Right. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, of course. Hauser yeah, explains so. <laughs> that a few weeks ago he met a woman and now his brain contains a bunch of stuff that could absolutely fuck Cohagen good. But if he's hearing this, that means that he's uh, already had his memory altered by Cohagen and that he is in trouble. The video explains that the kind of narrow device that was in the suitcase will remove the tracking device in his head if he sticks it up his nose. So he does so and he very painfully looking has the bug pulled out the video then tells him that he's got a he's got a head for mars and head for the hilton where which is about when richter and co start rolling up on him 
Quaid takes the opportunity to destroy the suitcase, putting the bug that he just extracted into what looked like a Snickers bar and he gave it to the rats. Right? I had no idea what that was. <laughs> it's like some sort of chocolate looking thing. So earlier in the movie when he's yeah. making breakfast, he's making like what essentially looks like Soylent Green. You know, it's like a powder and just putting it in a blender. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't tell if he's just really big into protein shakes or if this is the future food. But then here he's definitely just like straight up eating a Snickers bar. <laughs> exactly. And we get like there's pepsi uh, there's pepsi logos all over mm-hmm. mars we'll get to that but there's like there's also like pepsi vending machines in the background of like every shot <laughs> um so they have like some products like people you know present day products exist mm-hmm. but then there's also like future stuff so yeah probably was a snickers bar <laughs> <laughs> he feeds it to the rats conveniently containing the bug he also tries he smashes the suitcase a bunch so that it just repeats the message get your ass to mars get your ass to mars over and over again <laughs> um as he, he makes his escape from Richter and co, who appear at the site where he was, and they start, you know, Richter's second in command starts following the, the blip on his scanner around, and they're shooting at it like crazy, and then they see, oh, the, the blip is actually one of the rats. Uh, a rat who is not long for this world, unfortunately, as Richter shoots it in anger, realizing that he has been duped by Quaid. This is the first of many small animals that will get got in this movie as a side effect of people being <laughs> mad. <laughs> Yeah, no animals were actually harmed in the making of this movie. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's also a ridiculous amount of blood that like sprays all over the oh, place yeah. when he when Richter <laughs> shoots the rat. The very bloody rat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of blood and red, our red wash from the beginning of the movie comes back because it's uh, it's Mars time, baby. <laughs> we're we're tr- we're leaving Earth behind. At Mars Immigration, a sort of middle-aged woman gives her passport to the immigration officer as um, Richter and his officers walk right past the front gate. She gets stamped through, but when asked questions beyond how long is she staying, she starts warbling <laughs> loudly. And Richter, his attention got, realizes that the the malfunctioning woman is actually Quaid in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love how Quaid's and not think of programming any other answers besides uh like he only anticipated the question how long are you staying for yeah he's if the security guy asked any other question (laughs) which he did and the woman starts bugging out like that's not a very good disguise not at all i have to wonder if like it was something he could program or if it was just like this woman can only say this one this particular mask can only say this one thing but then (laughs) later in the scene we hear this mask say something else uh so, so Richter and his yeah. boys surround Quaid dressed as the woman who takes the mask off and he throws the mask to one of the soldiers, which the mask then tells them to get ready for a surprise before it explodes. So clearly the mask can say other things. Yes. <laughs> get ready for a surprise was just not good enough. For yeah, <laughs> even literally just yes or no would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Just no, because they asked, like, do you have any, do you have any like food yeah. or drinks with you? And you can say no, you pass the question. Right. <laughs> but using the diversion of the mask, Quaid tries to make his escape. The soldiers start to open fire, uh, but one of their bullets pierces a window, which causes the pressure to start, start leaking out, uh, and the suction is ro- sending people rocketing out into the atmosphere of Mars. <laughs> Someone hits the emergency lockdown button, and Quaid manages to slide under one of the doors as they're sealed, um, making his escape from immigration. Quaid asks, gets on another train, as he is wont to do, and asks the man about the pyramid mine off in the distance. Uh, and the man explains, like, oh, I used to work there, but then we found those alien artifacts or what have you, and Cohagen shut it down. Um, and Rick Quaid's like, is there really alien artifacts there? To which the miner just sort of laughs at him, chuckles knowingly, if you will. 
meanwhile, Richter goes to meet with Cohagen, who is staring ominously over his red city, as bad guys in action movies are wont to do. Um, Cohagen sort of explains that as long as the turbinium, a, a rare metal of some kind, it's ambiguously worth a lot of money, uh, keeps flowing, he can do whatever he wants, and all he worries about is if the rebels win, all of this ends. Uh, it's a very binary system of thinking. It's also a very action movie logic system of thinking, because uh, in the real world, there tend to be a lot more complicated nuances to issues like this. So whenever a movie posits, like, take out the big bad or take out this one thing, everything will be okay. Gets you thinking, maybe, is this real? Is this the real life? Or is this the dream? Only one way to find out. Keep watching. <laughs> It's also a real subtle commentary we have here. Mm-hmm. We have like an evil bad guy <laughs> who has colonized an entire planet oh, to yes. strip the resources. Like the, and <laughs> yeah, all he cares the, about uh, is the his... citizens are suffering. Yeah, he, he just cares about like maintaining his own wealth and his own power. Like totally not, um, you know, totally not something that we see thematically explored anywhere else in media. Or... <laughs> yeah, no, or it's not an allegory for anything real. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Totes, no way. He, Kohagen takes the opportunity to yell at Richter a bunch before getting down to business. And he's like, we need to get to Quaid before Quato, uh, Quato, the, Reb- Quatso, yeah, yeah. the rebel leader who wants what's in Quaid's head. Uh, and since Quato is explained to be a psychic, he might actually be able to get it. And he's like, Richter, I just need you to play along with me or else... It's your wife who's going to get got next. Uh, Quaid gets off the train and walks straight into the Hilton up to the desk to ask for a room. He seems to have already stayed there before under uh, Brubaker as his name. Uh, and he left something in the safety deposit box. So as he's getting his hotel room, he also gets what's left in that box. Inside is a poster for a club called The Last Resort. with The note on the back asking him to go ask for Melina. He asks the clerk for a pen to test to make sure that the note on the back is, in fact, his own handwriting, himself writing the word Melina exactly as it appears on the back of the paper. So he must have been the one who left this here before, for sure. (laughs) I do kind of like that he was testing uh, his past self in that way. I thought that was a really neat little... Just a little, like, moment to have in there, because up till now, he's sort of just been taking everything at face value for him to be... Shown to have some doubts. I think it was a really interesting little wrinkle in there. Yeah, that's a good point. He literally is just, at this point, accepting anything that uh, everybody tells him. (laughs) Which, uh, when he's not really sure what the actual reality is, is probably not... (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's nice to <laughs> see him think to for himself a little bit. Yeah, we, yeah. we actually get to see him make his own <laughs> choices. And, yep. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but immediately after checking into the hotel, he leaves, going out and getting a cab uh, with uh, a driver who we'll, we'll learn is later named Benny. Uh, and he gets in the cab as sort of fighting breaks out behind him. The cabbie explains that this is just what happens on Mars. Rebels attack all over any little thing. Um, and they, they make their way over to... Uh, Venusville, sort of the red light district of Mars, where they hit up the club, The Last Resort. As they kind of get out to walk to the club, they see a variety of people who have different levels of psychic abilities and are all some sort of mutation, um, which is explained to be from exposure to Mars's air, atmosphere, or lack thereof. But when they get mutated, they also gain some semblance of psychic abilities. It's uh, sort of the world building of Mars here. We don't have aliens per se, but we do have the the mutants. 
As he enters the last resort, he pays Benny really well, uh, who agrees to sort of like be on retainer for him. Uh, and Quaid enters and asks for Melina. Yeah, so he walks into um, the last resort and he starts asking for <laughs> Melina. They try to sort of like get him to go with another one of the the women. Uh, one of them has three boobs, which is just prosthetic. <laughs> somebody somebody uh, feeds their children by by making that prosthetic. Like that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, gotta cat get 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 that uh get that get that dough get that money. Yeah, no, I forgot. Honestly, I forgot about uh about Miss Miss Three Boobs until uh I watched this movie again. <laughs> Till <laughs> there she is. And there she is. Yeah. In <laughs> it's one of those details that you're like, oh, right, right that's, that's right. In I this didn't movie. imagine. That. <laughs> <laughs> but that's in you know, maybe if it's a dream, then that's in yeah. his like fantasy and his dream. So says a lot about <laughs> Mr. Douglas Quaid. <laughs> I mean. We certainly see his exact fantasy in this dream because over at a far table is, of course, Melina, who looks precisely like the woman he constructed earlier when he was talking to Dr. Lull. She at first seems kind of concerned to see him. Uh, some of the other folks around, especially Tony, one of the mutants, tries to get him to leave. He's like, hey, you have a lot of nerve showing your face around here. But Melina takes takes him, uh, Quaid, up to one of the private rooms so that they can talk. Melina starts yelling at him for not telling her that he's alive once they're behind closed doors and she's super super relieved to like see him okay and Quaid explains that he's like well, I don't actually remember you or anything about myself he's like Halser's the one who who was switched into somebody else by Cohagen I'm I'm Quaid I I don't know you I had like a wife and stuff and as soon as he says wife Melina gets super pissed <laughs> she's like wait a minute you're married uh, and so she completely 360s and she's like, no, you're working for Cohagen. You never loved me. Get out. You just used me. Um, which makes the second time in this movie that a woman that Quaid is somewhat involved in gets mad at him for a woman that he is <laughs> dreaming about and or ambiguously dreaming about who may or may not be real. He's just doing his best. I can't tell if it's supposed to yeah, be right. a parallel or not. <laughs> or if that's just how they wrote women in the 90s. Like it could go either way. <laughs> Uh, she throws him out, and Benny takes him back to the hotel, where Quaid watches on screen as Copenhagen declares martial law on Mars, because, uh, not Copenhagen, Copenhagen. Cohagen <laughs> can do that. <laughs> Copenhagen. Uh, autocorrect is a fun <laughs> tool. As he's watching this, someone knocks on the door, and a doctor from Recall introduces themselves as uh, Dr. Eggmar approaches him, and he's like, I want to talk to you about Hauser. Quaid brings him in and starts threatening him, and the doc explains that, like, Quaid, you're not really standing here right now, that we're actually back in Recall's lab space, and that we're monitoring you, and this is all a delusion, which is just a fun way of not saying it's all a dream. <laughs> For, like, the seventh time in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, he explains that, like, you started having a schizoid embolism, and the I was sent in, I've been programmed to come in to talk you down so that you, we can get you out of this dream. Uh, and I'm not alone. And he opens the door to reveal Lori, Quaid's wife. She says that she's also at recall and that she loves him and denies that she did anything to hurt him earlier in his delusion. Quaid doesn't seem super convinced. And the doc kind of explains, like, you have to want to return to reality in order to get out of the stream. And it hands Quaid a red pill. And he says, in order to break out, you have to eat it because that'll convince your brain that you're breaking yourself out. It's all, it's all, it's all in his head, essentially. <laughs> Quaid puts a gun to the doc's head and he's like, how do I know you're telling the truth? And the doc is like, kill me in your dream if you want. You'll be lobotomized in real life. 
you know what, like, I'm not worried about this at all. He's super confident. He gives his whole speech. But uh, as Quaid puts the pill in his mouth, he notices a bead of sweat going down the doc's face and decides to shoot the doc instead, spitting out the pill and rejecting the return to reality, if you will. As Lori sees him do this, she sort of steps away and she her facade changes. Now you've done it. Uh, and she turns back into Agent Lori as opposed to Wife Lori as a bunch of the agents bust in through the wall, <laughs> like like straight through the wall of the hotel. They don't <laughs> there is a the door. door. <laughs> I want to make this very clear. There is a door and it's unlocked as we've learned. Yeah, it's, they could just walk in, but nope. <laughs> from the wall and like the suite next to the tackle in. <laughs> they're, they're waiting. They are waiting for their moment. <laughs> <laughs> waiting in the wings, including Lori who gets in on the fight. They manage to subdue Quaid and Richter gets a call from Lori telling him that she's she's coming down the elevator to meet him in the lobby of the hotel. So it seems that this was our understanding of this last scene based on Quaid's understanding of this last scene is that the agents and Lori were trying to trick him into thinking it was all a dream. But in re- viewers may not know what's real and what's not much as Quaid doesn't. It's all again. It's all a dream. Is it all a dream? Is it all in your head? There's no way to know for sure. That's Total Recall, baby. <laughs> That's the name of the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't know. Quaid doesn't know. Nobody knows. Yes. They do. This could be a dream right now. This could now, all be a dream. Know? They do a very good job in this movie of making it ambiguous. Because sometimes with sci-fi movies with high concepts like that, it you, you sort of miss the mark on how convincing the actual like concept of it all is. But credit where credit's due... The, it's certainly heavy-handed, but the is this a dream or is this reality question permeates the entire movie in a way that you cannot ignore, but is very confusing and convincing. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the agents start dragging Quaid to the service elevator where Richter and Co. wait at the bottom, but when the door opens for Lori and crew to get on, it's Melina in the elevator, and she starts duking it out with Lori and the agents, taking them all out as Quaid starts to come to. Just as it looks like Lori is going to kill Melina... Uh, Doug Quaid himself grabs a gun and Laurie tries to talk him down, but Quaid shoots his ex-wife, question mark, before she is able to shoot him. Richter, seeming to spidey sense that something is wrong with his actual wife, sees the elevator door kind of get stuck and starts running up top as Melina and Quaid begin to make their escape, having now created a dynamic duo of sorts. Arriving up top, Richter takes a moment to mourn the death of his wife, Laurie. Now it's personal. <laughs> Uh, and his, his second in command gives chase to Quaid and Melina. He has them in his, his sights, but he can't shoot them because they're on the, they're climbing down the side of the dome on the, a hotel that kind of keeps all the air in. And if they shoot, they could risk cracking the dome as they did uh, back at the airport. Melina and Quaid manage to make it outside and get picked up by Benny the cabbie and make a break for the last resort as Richter and his co make chase. They have a little bit of a taxi shootout situation. Um, until Benny, who has no brakes in his taxi car, <laughs> drives straight into a store and they come to a stop while Benny continues to scream that they're all going to die. Having dragged him into their uh, chase sequence, he is now involved in the gang. On foot, they start hoofing it, making it into the last resort and being snuck by uh, Tony and co into a, a tunnel hidden behind one of the wall panels. And they do it expert job of not only getting the panel open but then staging the scene afterwards that you can't tell where the panel was they move a full table that's got like full set dressing on top over a bunch of girls sit down around the table they are on it this is a level of like stage production that high school theater groups could only aspire to (laughs) (laughs) it is so thoroughly rehearsed like they were they were ready they were ready and they were hoping that they would never have to do it but like they were low-key hoping Mm -hmm. that they would have to do it so that they could show up yeah (laughs) 
It's like they're like it's go time. Yeah. Team. <laughs> it's this, they are the pit crew of secret tunnels. They are a well-oiled <laughs> machine. Um, as Richter and his his cohorts bust in, they don't see any signs of Quaid or anyone suspicious. And the uh, three boob lady from before tries to kind of distract them with the like conversation, but as she turns away, she gets shot. And so begins uh, the brawl at the last resort. Richter and his soldiers just open fire on everyone in the club, and a full-on like bar bar brawl starts. Reinforcements start to flood the streets of uh, Venusville, the section of the city that they're in, uh, as Cohagen calls Richter in the midst of this chaos to tell him to retreat, um, and he and his soldiers back off for a moment of peace. Meanwhile, Quaid and friends are escaping through the tunnels, which are like sort of like these old catacombs. They've got some remains of the first settlers in them. They're very spooky. Very. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a real mix of genres in this movie, you know. We get a little <laughs> bit of horror here if we get. <laughs> yeah, they it sort of like has some lines about how like these are the first settlers of Mars and that like Cohagen used them to build his empire or whatever and now they just sleep in these like dirty tunnels or whatever. But I'm also kind of like, well, they're skeletons, yeah. man. Like I don't know where else you were going to put all the skeletons. <laughs> Probably in in some dirt, but <laughs> I it seems to be where they are. <laughs> yeah. Dirt connected to tunnels, but dirt nonetheless. As they're sort of making their escape, Cohagen begins to sort of seal off the whole area. Uh, and we find out that the reason he had all of his soldiers leave is so that he could stop the air from pumping into Venusville as the symbolic large fan that keeps the flow going comes to a halt as all of the residents slowly watch their only hope for survival stop moving. Yeah, this would be like the worst way to slowly die as a whole like, group <laughs> that you're like air supplies mm-hmm. just cut off until you all run out of there yeah it's very and it's not uh a lot of scenes in this movie are played for the action but this is played very solemnly we just get a long shot of the fans slowly coming to a stop and of course <laughs> the young child who uh quig very briefly bonded with earlier is there front and center watching this fan come to a stop <laughs> to show us that there are stakes we have to we care about these people the uh, the little girl that's we were talking about that yes I, I forgot about how uh when they bond when she when he first gets to venusville um she's like an astrology like she asks what uh she tells him what his sign is that's what it is like yeah. that's her because she's psychic and she's like you're a taurus aren't you and he's like how did you know so <laughs> the original we, astrology girl exactly we see that astrology still exists on mars in 2084 <laughs> Yes, astrology, notably based on um, the view of the solar system from Earth, is holding true on Mars. Yeah, <laughs> it's like mod- It's like a little bit different. There's like Earth, like mm-hmm. Earth is in retrograde or whatever. I don't, I don't fucking <laughs> know anything Mercury. about astrology, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all I got too. <laughs> we were we were on our way to meet Quato and the other rebels as Melina is taking Quaid to their hideout, um, so that Quato can help him remember whatever it was that he did that. Cohagen is so afraid of. When they get to the rebels, Benny reveals that he's a mutant. That's why they can trust him underneath a fake hand. He has a, a mutated arm. And they get admission into the rebel hideout. Inside, they get a transmission from Tony, who explains that they're running out of air back in Venusville, um, just in case it was unclear from the fan scene what exactly was happening. Cohagen has put an ultimatum out that he wants Quaid, or else everyone in Venusville will be dead by the morning. Uh, and Quaid gets taken into Quato's office, chatting with uh, a rebel officer about how whatever Cohagen founded that mine scared him so much that he was willing to go to these such lengths for it. Yes, what's his name? Uh, the rebel guy, 
don't remember. So I didn't catch the name of the rebel, but as we'll learn later this scene, he's sort of fused with Quato. So they just sort of refer to him <laughs> as Quato throughout the rest of the movie because Quato is, of course, a mutant, more severely mutated than you know, the other people that we've seen in this movie so far. And that's why he has such strong, strong psychic abilities. And as Quaid is like, are you Quato to the rebel guy? Uh, the rebel guy's like, no, please be nice when you meet him. Like, you know, <laughs> please don't, be nice. don't stare. <laughs> don't stare. Don't be it's rude. rude. <laughs> Before his name is- like taking off his jacket. Oh, his name is George. I looked it up, which I think oh, is hilarious because I knew it was something just like, I'm George and this is my brother Quato. Like it's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm George and this is my plot relevant friend who is attached to me, Quato. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, have you seen Malignant yet? Not to spoil anything. <laughs> I have not seen Malignant. Okay, yet. well, I don't want to. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Forget no. Forget I said anything. Forget I said anything. <laughs> Oh, it's erasing it from my brain. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll wipe your memory. <laughs> yeah, up to, oh, oh no. <laughs> but what if I start experiencing total recall? <laughs> oh man, memory is a funny thing, isn't it? Quatos <laughs> talks to Quaid about, he's like, well, what is it that you want? Quaid's like, to remember. And Quato says that, you know, what you do, is a man is defined by his action, not his memories. And it's like, okay, movie, now you've lost me a bit on whether or not this the memory thing is important or not. <laughs> but Quaid opens his mind to Quato, and inside his mind, we kind of float through these tunnels of weirdly brutalist-looking mind structure. Uh, inside, Cohagen and Richter are talking about whether or not they should flip the switch on this crazy machine built by the the Martians who came before them. And they're like, we should we do it before the rebels can use it or not? And we push in on a, a, a claw-marked handprint in the middle of um, a very large button. And, and as we sort of push in on that, agents start busting in from either side of the cavern, drilling through the walls, interrupting the dream sequence and breaking up our rebels. Quaid grabs Melina and uh, starts making a break for it as all chaos breaks loose. <laughs> Quato, Benny, Quaid, and Melina, the four characters who have been named. And I guess George, by extension, is also with them. But anytime Quato is moving, George is moving. So Yeah, and power. George, I, I guess, like does not have... Um, he's not like aware whenever Quato is aware. That's what I got because he kind of like his eyes kind of roll back when yeah. Quato talks, and he's like, so he's kind of like asleep, and I, like Quato <laughs> kind of takes over. Like, um, so I don't, I don't know. If George is even like aware of what's going on. Um, <laughs> George is just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, <laughs> they sort of like flee to the edge of the cavern to a room, like an airlock, and they're trying to put on their spacesuits when Benny opens fire on Quato, betraying the gang. He has them all put their hands up and reveals that he was working with the agents and not the rebels the whole time. As he's dying, Quato tells Quaid to go and start the reactor and free Mars, which is what he saw in his dream. Uh, and as Richter kills Quato uh, and then takes Quaid and, and Milana to go see Mr. Cohagen. We're going to go meet our, meet our bad guy, meet our big bad. Cohagen uh, <laughs> starts monologuing at Quaid, as villains are often wont to do, uh, about how... Quaid is actually a hero and was the key to wiping out the rebels, to wiping out the resistance, which makes Molina uh, mad at Quaid because as soon as anyone questions Quaid's memory or abilities, Molina immediately flips sides on him. Cohagen explains that none of his people could ever get close enough to Quato, so he and Hauser created the perfect mole, uh, a mole who wouldn't even know that they were one. Richter wasn't in on it, but the rest of his villainous gang, Benny, etc., etc., was was and that's why it was so easy for Quaid to get to Mars and make his way through and actually like survive long enough to get initiated into the rebels. Quaid's like, I would never work for you. I don't believe that. 
To which Kohagen's like, well, you don't have to take my word for it. You can take your own. And then plays a video of uh, Hauser, who's explaining <laughs> that he... Sorry, he played you, buddy, but I want my body back. I want, you know, you've just been borrowing <laughs> my, my memories for this whole time. <laughs> this is crazy. We've been, like, barraged by so many plot twists at this point that, like, things aren't really real that this time we have no idea what to believe. Because obviously this is, like, yeah. the 12th plot twist in this movie about <laughs> someone being, something being real that's not real. I don't know. So even mm-hmm. when we see the video of Hauser himself, I still did not believe it. I still don't even know if I believe it because I feel like yeah, like in 2084, I think they have the technology to have deep fakes that are realistic enough that they can make <laughs> Quaid or Hauser say something that he didn't actually say. Exactly. Well, we've seen that hologram device. We've seen the mask device. So clearly yeah. they have some advanced faking it technology. I think that this movie does something it does really well is even though it barrages you with plot twists, that only serves to make it more confusing as to what is real and what is not. So rather yes. than the plot twists necessarily being in the story for the shock value of it all, they're there to sort of contribute to the overall ambiance of confusion that just sort of like permeates the whole movie. It's it's very effectively done, even though it is kind of comical just how many plot twists there are. <laughs> Definitely. And it's at this point for me where I kind of gave up trying to decide what is real and what isn't Mm -hmm. and just accept that like this is it's supposed to be ambiguous and you're not supposed to have any idea what where we are at right now yeah it sort of just asks you to kind of be along for the ride Uh, yeah i I really appreciated that as someone who was like you know what i will just be along for the ride thank you let's do it (laughs) we still have 30 minutes left i'm I'm here (laughs) like with many movie struck movies the last 30 minutes fly by compared to the (laughs) first hour and a half or so um, this is being a reoccurring theme I've learned with many sci-fi movies. They like yep. to front load the um, exposition and then the back end is just like, oh, chase sequence? We yeah. got you. There is no subtext or anything whatsoever. <laughs> Not even a little bit. No. Nope. Uh, Quaid and Melina are taken to like a spookier version of the recall lab from earlier and are strapped into the recall-esque devices. Cohagen takes a moment to just be a little sexist to Melina and be like, we're going to program you to be the demure woman or whatever. Uh, and you, Quaid, you're going to you're gonna go back to being Hauser. You're going to be your old self. Uh, when he gets interrupted by a call telling him that the oxygen is bottoming out in uh, Venusville, to which he says, fuck him, indicating to us that he is indeed a villain. He's a bad guy. He's evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quaid is all uh, tied up and Richter takes the opportunity to punch him to get his uh, frustrations over his wife being dead out, which Richter is definitely a villain in that he is working for the bad guy, but I kind of get why Richter is so frustrated. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you had to like actively watch your wife go live with and be married to another guy for six years. And then that guy figures out what's up, goes crazy. You have to track him down. You're not allowed to kill him. You just have to like, Try and catch him alive, and he keeps killing all of your agents. And then he actually kills your real wife. <laughs> so I get why you have so much beef with him at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of a sympathetic character here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his motivations are more relatable than like Cohagen's, which are just sort of <laughs> ambiguously like be rich, be evil. <laughs> yeah, don't you hate when that happens when you're, uh, you know, when a secret agent those days. marries your wife for six <laughs> years and then kills her. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's the rough world out there. Some some days you just can't win. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get him next time, Richter. Yeah. 
Uh, Cohagen takes the opportunity to invite Melina and Quaid to a party at his place later before leaving to let the doctors do their things. Uh, as the machines start firing up, Quaid straight up like army man rips his restraints with like sheer muscle off and then starts beating up the doctors, managing to free himself and Melina in the process. And the two begin their escape, progressively getting better weapons as they go. First, they've got an axe, then they've got a variety of guns, and then by the end, they've got even more of a variety of guns. <laughs> they just keep finding more of them as they make their escape from this compound. It's like a video game. Like they just they have to like buy a wall gun. They have to <laughs> exactly. It's, like it's almost like it's scripted. Yeah, it's, it's too almost convenient like convenient to be reality. Like it literally is a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Copenhagen is sort of looking over his villainous window view of Mars as Richter asks him to finally make the call and Copenhagen's like fine you're never gonna stop saying Copenhagen I'm I'm never gonna stop saying (laughs) Copenhagen it's so close and yet so far (sighs) such an easy one to make Richter's on the warpath now baby uh, and so is Cohagen as he takes the opportunity to knock over his goldfish tank, making this the second group of small animals that will be unceremoniously killed in anger in this movie. <laughs> That's the saddest part. <laughs> I know. They have like, a close-up shot of the goldfish gasping for air before they cut to the residents of Venusville yep. gasping for air. It's like, oh, movie, I don't know if you've earned that one. <laughs> I see what you did there, but I'm still mad about it. Uh, Quaid and Melina are making for the reactor underneath the pyramid mine, uh, which Quaid sort of explains to her he saw in his vision that this reactor makes fresh air, and that's why Cohagen is afraid of it, because it uh, could essentially put him out of business by providing all of Mars with fresh air. And they sort of, as they go the route that Quaid remembers, they hit a dead end, uh, which is about when Benny and his drill show up. <laughs> Are you thinking that he's going to drill through the hole for them? No, no, no. He's going to drill through them to create a hole. Uh, he starts, like, screaming and driving towards Molina and Quaid, trying to, like, murder them via drill tank. Is this the end for our intrepid heroes? Nope. Quaid gets a hand drill and then drills through the drill's fuel line, uh, which stops it at the last second from drilling through. There's a lot of drilling going on in the scene. There is. <laughs> there's so much drilling through them. <laughs> And then he drills through the drill to drill into Benny, rip to Benny. Uh, and so ends his saga. Um, I love it when Benny's like inside the drill here. It's like this this like tank thing with all these drills going uh-huh. on with it. And he's alone in this chamber of the tank and he can't hear, you know, Douglas, Quaid, and Melina can't hear Benny. But he's reeling off all these like action movie one-liners. He's like, it's the end of the road for you, Doug. Like stuff like that. <laughs> But, like, Doug can't hear him. He's just kind of saying these things to himself. Yeah. <laughs> Benny's just hyping himself up. Benny yeah, exactly. Benny's a, a fast talker. It's, it's all about, you know, saying your aspirations. What is the... It's a thing you would say to yourself in the mirror in the morning. Ah, uh, yeah. Your uh, affirmations, is it? Affirmations. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Benny's all about saying his affirmations. I just lost the ability to speak English for a good two minutes there. <laughs> Conveniently in this drilling scene, uh, in addition to us learning that Benny is an optimist until the end... Uh, he also drills a hole through the dead end, revealing the inside of the reactor that Quaid remembered from his time with Quato, and conveniently allowing us to progress through the plot. The Our two heroes that have survived up to this long start climbing through the reactor over the glacier at the core of Mars, which Quaid explains is what the reactor is going to melt to create the oxygen to give all of Mars all the air it could ever need through this one glacier. I don't know a lot about how glaciers work. I don't think that that's it, but I also don't know enough about how Mars's air works to tell you that that isn't how that works. In like a matter of seconds too. Like 
they just yeah. flip the switch and like Mar- there's just air on Mars. Like that's <laughs> air on Mars. It's not a it. whole process. <laughs> it's just <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like air, no air. You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If they turn on the reactor in time, they can save Venusville. But in order to do that, they're gonna have to make it past Richter and his crew, who are also moving around the reactor, ready to try and fight Quaid. Which Quaid sort of like senses through his like action hero inherent Spidey sense that he's being there's men with guns about. And it seems like Quaid is uh, going out too obviously into the middle of the trap and all of the soldiers start shooting at him from a circle. There's no way they're missing. But he just gets up and laughs. It's not Quaid. It's his hologram. Remember that mirror device from earlier? It's coming back into play into what is actually a very cool fight scene. Isn't it? It, This is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It's so cool. We tell you it's important. Basically, for the next couple minutes, uh, Quaid, Richter, and Melina are all sort of like shooting out between these pillars that are all scattered about the room. And Melina and Quaid are tossing the hologram device back and forth to create different imitations. And so you're never quite sure who is the real one, who is the hologram. It's very fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and there's that one part where they're all all converging on him. And he's like, haha, Mm -hmm. you think this is the real Quaid? And then he kind of yep. looks like directly at the camera and he goes, it is. And then he shoots them all. <laughs> it's like yes. so cool. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Way to think on his feet. You could really get the sense that like Quaid is having a lot of fun at this point. Just yes. like throwing out these action one-liners. Like he's really enjoying being super spy Quaid. <laughs> I wonder if he really is. <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> Quaid and Richter make it to a sort of like lift uh, and start wrestling on there with Richter having the upper hand until Quaid is able to get him over the edge of the elevator. Um, It looks like Quaid is going to try and pull him down or looks like Richter is going to try and pull Quaid down with him uh, until Quaid ducks out of the way at the last second and a ledge pushes Richter down, kind of chopping his arms off and he falls to his presumable doom. It wouldn't be a sci-fi movie if we didn't have a pit to nowhere that someone fell down into. Yep, we got to check that off the list. Put a couple of your sci-fi movie checklist, and if yes. you had pit, pit to Nowhere, Villain Falls in the Pit to Nowhere, you can check both those boxes. <laughs> right you get <now>. bingo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quaid is now alone to ascend into the claw mark giant button activation room. <laughs> I also love how he leaves Melina down there. Like, she yeah, had... I guess he couldn't like stop the lift on its way. Right, up. he couldn't hold the elevator for her. But... <laughs> I wanted her yeah. to come running up the steps, just like out of breath. Which... <laughs> Like, you couldn't have sent the elevator back down. <laughs> but no. Um, Quaid is about to put his hand onto the, the button when Cohagen appears with the gun out to stop him. He says, if you turn on that button, Mars goes boom. And Quid's like, how could you know? And Cohagen's like, how could you know? <laughs> if you don't know what's going to happen when you hit that button, only your dream knows. And just as Cohagen is about to finish Quaid off, Melina Ex Machina appears to uh, shoot him instead. Cohagen, ready to blow the whole place up, is about to set off a detonate a bomb, which Quaid throws towards a window, I guess, to the outside. It's unclear, like, how deep underground they are. I guess they have some sort of, like, exalt vent or something, because the bomb blows that up, and now, similar to the airport scene or immigration station scene from earlier, um, they're all struggling against being sucked out into the atmosphere of Mars. We saw in the opening scene how, how much it fucks up your face and your eyes just like bug out. Yes, so. you, uh, eyes bug out, you start mutating. Quaid sort of wrestles with Cohagen for a bit before throwing him out into the Mars uh, suitless, so RIP to Cohagen. And we'll sort of cut, cross cut between Quaid and Melina struggling to hold on and reach the button and um, Cohagen's eyes starting to bug out for the next couple minutes. 
Quaid manages to pull himself up to the activator and starts the reactor, but as he does so, he and Melina get pulled out into Mars and themselves start to mutate as they first roll down a hill for a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) But as they do, the reactor starts to do its thing. The glacier begins to melt and a rumbling shakes Mars. This uh, steam washes over everything, clouds of dust coursing into the hotel, into Venusville, with great force sort of like breaking out of all the windows and knocking everything down. Is it destroying Mars or is it saving it? We don't know yet. Uh, and, and as the dust continues to storm out of the mountain, Quaid and Melina begin to be able to breathe easier and the red wash that has been over the movie up to this point slowly shifts into a blue and green color correction instead <laughs> as the dust cloud parts and the blue skies open up over Mars for the first time ever. Um, everyone everywhere from the hotel to Venusville is looking on in awe as clean air washes over Mars. Uh, and Melina <laughs> and Quaid looking on and notably not mutated despite having begun to mutate. They like sort of <laughs> they just go back, back to normal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their eyes just go like back into their heads normally. <laughs> yeah. They sort of just like she's like, I can't believe it. This is like a dream, which Quaid says makes him think that maybe it is. And he and Melina choose to make out rather than dwell on that. And we roll <laughs> credits. <laughs> and that is total recall. That is total recall. We have total recall now of the movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what a fun action flick i mean i feel like we'd be remiss if we got to the end of this movie and didn't ask like do you think it was all a dream or do you think it was real i i honestly don't know i'm so torn um like i said <laughs> at, it's at that scene uh when they get to where cohagen shows quaid the uh the video of hauser saying that he was in mm-hmm. it the whole time that i just like kind of stopped trying to figure out what whether or not it is um i think you made a good point that there's like so many things here that are like story logic that are not logical to like if this was a real character thing that like that Quaid was going through it's Mm -hmm. it seems almost like too scripted but then again you don't know if that's because it is a 90s action movie exactly I think it's I can't tell if it's super clever or right unintentional or just like I, so I lean dumb towards super clever because yeah. <laughs> i think that this movie does an incredibly good job of confusing the audience because like we mentioned there's a lot of plot twists in this movie and all of them are sort of just one-upping the previous plot twist but because there are so many it really does keep you on your toes about what's real and what's not uh i think at the end of this i lean towards it was a dream and he was at total recall only because like you mentioned so much of this follows story logic to a T to the point where I have to believe that that was intentional. And if you accept that, like he is playing out a very by the numbers story, um, which I feel like you can see like when him and Melina at the end aren't mutated at all, that's like a very like story thing to have happened because it's not really explained why that would be reversed for them. Yeah. All the convenient happenings that like let him get to where he needs to go. You know, Melina and him just sort of being in love despite him having all of his memories replaced and not knowing her seemingly at all. <laughs> a-, a lot of these little beats that just seem too convenient for Quaid's story convinced me that that was in fact a dream because that is the kind of scripting that you would think you would get from one of these like vacation packages yeah or it could be a 90s action movie but I I'm giving I'm choosing to give the movie credit here because I think it's a lot more clever than that yeah and exactly they also literally go through if you take at face value the the scene at Total Recall um where the guy what, what's his name again the, the Total Recall guy the business guy oh, Bob Bob, <laughs> uh, Bob, when is he's selling the package to him, he's like, he basically spells out the whole plot of the movie going forward. He's like, you're going to fall in love with that beautiful brunette, uh, be pursued by 
by like a pack of agents from the the CEO, the bad guy, mm-hmm. and you're gonna save the planet. And it's like that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. I also maybe like I'm giving this movie too much credit, but it I like to think that it is like self aware that it is a movie that there's that one shot like I said where Doug almost like looks at the camera Mm -hmm. um so it's like even if this isn't a dream he's still unaware of the fact that he is in a movie and that like this movie is the like he doesn't know that he is in the movie and it's actually not real Mm -hmm. yeah he's uh he's treating the audience or we the audience are being treated like an audience to him Uh, yes it's, it's a really interesting dynamic to kind of add onto this what's real and what's not. There's yeah, so many layers. It's a, it's a movie that makes you think, specifically makes you think about what the, what the movie is actually about. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, we did Blade Runner 2049 on this podcast, and that's a movie that makes you think about a lot of, like, deep themes about humanity <laughs> and stuff. I would say this is a movie that made me think about, like, whether or not the movie was about a man who was dreaming or not. Yes. <laughs> but that was almost equally fun to kind of play along with as you're going because I, I don't know about you but when I'm watching this movie I spend most of it trying to figure out like looking for little clues to tell me what's real and what's not looking for Definitely. those callbacks looking for anything that could hint into what the actual answer is and I think the actual answer is that there is no actual answer I haven't really done any research on the <laughs> total recall lore but <laughs> <laughs> yeah I need if to you read just more. watch the movie the answer is not necessarily clear I'm sure there are fan theories out there on on Reddit if I mm-hmm. if I look hard mm-hmm. enough <laughs> if I want to. <laughs> yes, chime off and feel free to email the podcast with whether or not you think uh, Total Recall is all a dream or not. Um, but you know, I think we're kind of coming up on time here, so just to wrap up, is there what are some of your closing thoughts with this movie? Is there a situation that you would recommend people watch this in? Would you recommend people watch it? What are what, bring us home, Owen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I definitely think that you should watch it. It's with like not alone because it's fun to have the debate afterwards that we're having right mm-hmm. now about like yes gather people's opinions about what they think if this is real or not. Um, yeah, maybe if you're in like a weird existential mind space where you're <laughs> like, is my life even real or am I just part of a simulation? Sure. Definitely do that. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Just it's a fun movie. It's just a good time. It's like yeah. <laughs> don't don't think too much into it but also like have fun thinking about it it's just yeah, supposed to be it, fun it threads a really nice line between fun dumb action movie and actually having some substance behind it where exactly. it's not asking you to think so much that the action sequences don't be stay fun it's still arnold schwarzenegger doing some quippy one-liners and some crazy fight scenes um like like we mentioned like that fight scene at the end where they're using the hologram is just just fun to watch yeah but it also has enough substance behind it that you have something to focus on when they're not in the middle of a a chase scene or a fight and i think that's a really delicate balance that they strike really well in this movie yeah and i think the action is really good if we're just like Mm -hmm. on a very base level i like the action is solid it's excellent well owen thank you so much for joining us if people want to hear more from you where can they find you well i happen to have my own podcast that oh. if you like movies and tv and entertainment which you probably do if you're listening to movie struck <laughs> also check out uh, garbage idiot podcast on spotify apple podcasts and anywhere else where you can find podcasts we could dive into a wide range of very specific and niche movie topics we just did an episode on the naked brothers band for instance Ooh. definitely check us out follow us on instagram and twitter amazing 
yeah definitely check it out uh, i listened to i know you guys were doing some twilight content which timing ama- amazing timing because i also yeah. just did some twilight content yeah so great minds think episode. alike absolutely uh, great great mind yeah we're on the same wavelength uh, but a links to uh garbage idiot podcast and all of their socials will be in the show notes below so definitely check them out after this episode and uh we'll we'll catch you in uh, another two weeks with another fun and funky movie assuming that this wasn't all a dream of course Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on November 8th to talk about Frankenstein, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And uh, until next time, good luck avoiding that total recall. <laughs>